0: welcome to what's next cornet global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking profession-shaping conversations and commentary hey you are listening to the workplace theater This is the podcast where we go behind the scenes of corporate real estate, talking to industry experts about how they shape the next generation workplace. I'm your host Sabine M. And in today's episode, I'm speaking with Carly Flapper. Carly is Director of Total Workplace at Cushman & Wakefield. Hi everyone. Today I'm speaking with Carly Flapper who is based in Chicago. It's a very nice and sunny day. It looks like it at least. We've got introduced by one of my colleagues and apparently they go way back. So he knows a lot of her history but she's going to tell us herself. So hi Carly. Great that you could come on. Thank you Sabine. Happy to be here. Yeah. Now I know you work at Kishmin Wakefield. Currently. Can you tell us what your role there is and what your professional background is? Because I do know you have kind of an exotic career path. Yes, a little bit outside the norm, I find.
1: So I am a director in CNW's total workplace practice. So focused on helping our larger occupier clients with workplace strategy and change management. Based in Chicago, but we're a global team. So we get to do a lot of really exciting work for organizations that have locations all over the globe. And yes, I come to corporate real estate by way of the theater, actually. So both of my degrees and my pre-CRE career were in the professional theater. I was an actor, a director, a playwright, and a producer. And it's actually just a very odd coincidence that I landed here. I wasn't looking for a career change at the time. I was actually looking to go and get a PhD and become a professor, wanting to do something that was more research-based, a little more long-term stability. And so I was living in San Francisco and went to a temp agency and asked them just for some short administrative assignment while I worked on these PhD writing applications And so they sent me to Cushman Wakefield, DTZ at the time. We've gone through a few mergers and there was this really, can I say badass, a really badass group of women running the workplace strategy team there. They're still there, Olive Ho and Antonia Cardone, my leaders. And we just really connected, I think, on a personal level, a worldview level And over the six weeks, they needed some support with utilization studies that they were doing. And we just started kind of geeking out about the similarities and overlap between the realm of workplace and the realm of the theater, especially when it came to change management, actually. So anyway, kind of long story short, the six-week assignment turned into a six-month assignment. I was then faced with the decision of, going to a PhD program at a few different universities and just had like a very funny fork in the road moment where I had gotten very interested in this. Very nice to have a new challenge. Theater was the only thing I had done. And so I asked if I could join the team permanently, which they were open to. And uh, the new headquarters, um, we were going through the merger with Cushman Wakefield at the time and the new headquarters was Chicago. And I had family here. And so we we relocated and I joined the team. And so that's going on eight years ago now. So I really just haven't looked back. And now in retrospect, I've learned, I think, a lot about why this fits for me. But at the time, I had never even heard of workplace strategy. And certainly the people in my life, I think, are kind of shocked (laughs) at the transition that I made. But it's been really awesome.
0: Those are the stories that I love where you just find a passion kind of you never knew about. And I think what you said about like the team resonating on a personal level, that is what contributes a lot of times to enjoying work. If you have a good connection with your colleagues, if you love working with them, if you want to contribute to the success of the common team. Well, I have a lot of questions. One is you just said you've never heard of that profession before. How did you go about learning what the workplace and corporate real estate industry is about? Great question. And what first comes to
1: mind is my colleague, Olive, who I mentioned a minute ago, is an incredible teacher. She is someone who actually, maybe more than most people that I've met in my life, is passionate about helping people to learn and grow. She's really exceptional at it. She does a lot of work in the nonprofit sector, actually to support young people who are interested in the industry. And she really just, I honestly think, Sabine, that if she hadn't been the one that I met, this might have never happened. She took such an interest in my interest, in my curiosity, that it just sort of, it grew from there. She's known, as we've added new team members over the years, she's sort of known for staying on the phone until 10 at night or 11 at night, talking to someone about some aspect of the work that we do, And she really coached and trained me. So it was sort of just this, again, like as you say, kind of this kismet moment of I had this really natural curiosity about this. And I think because of some of the overlaps with what I'd been doing before, and somehow that struck a chord with her. And so from there, there was this like really intense tutelage. And what was really great was it was a moment for the organization where the need for workplace strategy and especially change management just started to explode. So that was eight years ago, you know, 2014. And so there was a lot of practical experience to learn from, right? We kind of had to all get in and get our hands dirty. And so it was just through doing the work, I think, and having that really intense coaching and mentoring that I was able to pick up a lot really quickly. And then the other aspect of it, I would say, was the fact that there are these really interesting overlaps. Like I had a specialization in physical theater, which is, There are some practices and methodologies by which theater has grown to objectively look at the art form, similar maybe to how a choreographer would look at a dance piece and kind of break it down by its elements. What kind of movement? Where's the repetition, either in something spoken or that's happening in space? And so to take that kind of a study, something that is for entertainment um, or expression, And then transfer it to a work environment where you're going in to do an ethnography study or a utilization study and have a very similar approach. What's happening here? What's the story of what's happening in this work environment, right? And so that was the other piece of it was I sort of already had the practice. I was just doing it for a different reason. So I don't know if that fully answers it or not. But I think that was a lot of it, just absorption,
0: mentorship,
1: and that transferring of skills.
0: I find that part really, really interesting as well. We say like there's a lot of overlap actually with kind of engineering a theatrical experience and now creating a workplace experience. And I think that topic has become so much more important for many organizations very recently as well. Can you put a little bit more meat on the bonus? as well? Well, like how... Does the theater experience and the workplace experience overlap? Where could you bring that in? Yes, absolutely. So
1: just in the way that you just described that, right, the word that came to mind for me was curation, right? Being really intentional in the theater realm about what is my audience going to experience? We have to think a lot about that. From the minute that they walk in the theater, something is going to be activating them about the space. And so that's where you see choices like is the curtain up or down? Can you see the set or can you not see the set? Are there already performers in the space or is the space really bare and neutral, right? We learn that everything is a choice. And so you start to look at things with really wide open eyes. And so I think when we come to workplace strategy or ultimately, right, design, programming, the experience management component, we should think about it in the same Way. Don't take anything for granted. Really look with open eyes. What is here in the space? How are all of your senses activated? How much light? How does it smell? What are the textures? How does it feel? Right? And so this idea that people's experience will be impacted by every single one of those elements. And then I think what maybe has been most applicable from that previous life is actually that workplace change management process, because interestingly, it is almost the exact same process and approach as directing actors, right? So when you direct actors, these days anyway, sort of the pervading modern techniques are not about dictating to someone, this is exactly how you should move, this is exactly how you should talk. That actually was at one time how people directed actors, but not for many decades. The idea is that as a director, I've chosen people who I believe have great artistry and a point of view. And my goal is to create an atmosphere during the rehearsal process by which their own creativity, their own instincts, there's a safety and some inspiration for them to have their kind of best self emerge so that then there is this really beautiful end product, right? And the same thing is true in workplace change management. Ultimately, we start at a current state, right? First day of rehearsal, and we're trying to get to opening night, which is the implementation of whatever we're you know, working towards as part of that future state. And the idea is not to say to people, hey, this is your job. Do what I tell you. We want to say, you're our talent. You're our most valuable resource. You're going to have your own process by which you adapt your behaviors to be successful in this new environment. So let me give you the resources and the positive, safe atmosphere by which you can go on a change journey and ultimately find your own place in whatever this new normal is. So I think that because over the years, I've become just more and more specialized in that piece of it, the architecture of a change management process. I think that's where the deepest overlap and the easiest transfer of skills happened. And I have found that a lot of what we have in the theater, which is a love for iterating, a love for exploring new ways of getting to the same thing has also really helped me to create good experiences for the groups that I'm working with because I like to make it as fun as possible, as engaging as possible. And so I don't even have a button for that, I guess. But that's sort of it in a nutshell. It's just that almost exact replicable process in both of the industries.
0: Yeah. And it's super powerful when you think about it. It's not only workplace change, but on a larger scheme, it's how companies should, in fact, look at their talent be like, okay, we select you because we think you're a great fit, you're bringing great skills, and we're giving you tools, we're giving you a workplace, and then you choose what you want to play with. And then what should matter at the end are the results. So, anyways, that should be the ideal. I'm not sure we're there 100% in all fields yet. Who do you then typically work with? Well, who are your stakeholders? Yes. So
1: I mentioned that we are organized by these larger accounts. And so very often with my team, we're connected with c account directors, who are the ones who are really out there looking at where might we be ready to pivot a strategy with this organization when it comes to the workplace where is there a big change about to happen and there aren't maybe the internal change management resources or the expertise around workplace change where we could perhaps leverage some of our skills. So that's often our way in is through our own account directors who are kind of the eyes and ears on the ground. And then usually their main stakeholder is a head of real estate, a head of workplace, a head of experience, maybe a head of HR, ahead head of facilities management. So it can kind of come in any one of those avenues, just really based on how the organization is structured. And then that may be our project sponsor, I would say, right? The person who hires us and brings us on board, but then pretty quickly we'll engage with the C-suite level for visioning and direction alignment. And then typically, and ideally be engaged all the way down to that frontline employee level, whether we're getting to iterate around a new strategy or prepare to actually implement change.
0: Have you then noticed recently, because I see that a lot in the news or the LinkedIn feed, actually like new roles and organizational structures emerging, like these job titles, like head of remote experience, community manager something I've seen recently, head of I think it was like Forbes or Harvard Business Review who said head of future of work is one of the up and trending titles. Do you see that in play as well already? Yes, absolutely. And I think where maybe an experienced director
1: or a CXO was progressive, perhaps post COVID, you weren't seeing it as much. Now it feels like everybody's got to be doing it in one way or another, right? Whether they're outsourcing it, they're going to consultants to help to provide it, or they're permanently bringing someone in-house, yes. And I think rightfully, because that has to be the focus. I feel like the war for talent is too hot, not for any larger companies to be taking that employee-centric, people-centric focus really seriously.
0: Now I wonder though, it's like a side note, it's a new job that's been created. It's not been around and it's not something you can really train for. Where is that talent coming from? It's an interesting... Yeah,
1: I have a thought on that only because we do have an experience management function inside of c that is is same as us, kind of consults or goes onto accounts. So yeah, some of our large clients have you know, near a hundred community managers globally that Cushman and Wakefield sort of provides around the ongoing management of the experience for the organizations. And my understanding from that function is actually they find a lot of people through hospitality. That's really the skill set that they're looking for. And I know also the experience management platform at CNW leverages that Ritz-Carlton hospitality training, this idea of really like we were talking about, creating like curative experiences where there actually are people whose job it is to manage interactions, help to keep things running smoothly, give people a sense that the space is being managed and that the organization is investing in them having a good experience, which I think, right, as we start to think about, well, what will the future of work for most organizations look like, that new hybrid model Whereas perhaps when everyone used to come in every day or mostly every day, they could quickly get up to speed on how the environment works. And if something changed or shifted, they could learn about that and then integrate it into their practices. If we now have new practices where people only come in one or two days a week, or maybe they come in one week a month and then they're remote the rest of the time, that process of having to get up to speed on how the work environment is functioning actually needs to be available in a much more on-demand, ongoing way, right? It's not we all move in, we all learn about the space and we're good. It's like, no, people are coming in and out all the time. Do I remember how to use the mobile printer? It seems like the coffee machine is different or the barista is on a new level or whatever the challenge is. Oh, there's a new security procedure, right? And so by having things like community managers or experienced managers, concierges around, people have a much better experience And if they're unsure of something, there's almost someone there to spot that. Oh, Sabine, it's great to see you again. I know you by name. Have you seen the new milk frother that we have? Let me show you how to use it, right? Exactly. And so, yeah, I think the need for this type of expertise at like a leadership and strategy building level is really crucial. But then for the organizations that have the resources to actually incorporate it into the day-to-day, They'll have really high returns, I think, on what that employee experience is generally going forward.
0: I want to ask you a personal question then, because you're in the office currently, and I can't imagine what your reason is going to be because you have that really beautiful skyline behind you. But what's the most common workplace configuration in your organization? So at Cushman Wakefield, and what do you appreciate about the office as an environment?
1: Great. Yes. So we, like most of our clients, have pivoted during and post-COVID. Pre-COVID, we had pockets of activity-based working, mobility among some business units. And like many of the organizations that we work with, we sort of took the moment after the great remote work experiment to look at our global strategy, to, to look at our own global real estate guidelines and reconfigure so that we are set up for a more hybrid model. So now we are we're shifting to where even the groups who were very office based coming in all the time, the future vision for those groups is that they do remain more mobile, that flexibility is available for all. And so the environments are starting to shift to be more spread set up for activity based working, sharing, choice And so we've just started some pilot programs in Chicago, San Diego, Paris, DC, and it's just going to keep widening as we continue to touch all of our spaces. So yes, lots of sharing, lots of choices, lots of rooms of different sizes, different technology in different environments, spaces for clients, spaces for work, just a lot of variety. And I personally love work spaces in office environments that basically can't be replicated elsewhere, that you couldn't have at home, that's maybe harder to have just out in consumer spaces. So I think of spaces that I would consider maker spaces, spaces where they're really set up to do your work in the deepest way possible, get your hands dirty. So for my team, that would mean a really large space, All the walls can be whiteboarded on. There's lots of space to either tack things up or do dashboarding on monitors so that we can have a really visual interaction with what we're working on. We can all stand back. We can be communicating with our team members who are in the room and aren't, right? Those kind of getting your hands dirty spaces. I really love those. I'm really inspired by those. And I would also say restorative spaces. You know, I love a good spa experience. (laughs) Like I I love like any space where you can really um, have a break and a moment to be refreshed. And actually, outside of the spa environment, I've encountered a lot of really zen-like spaces in offices. So spaces where either there is that connection to the outdoors, a beautiful view, Spaces where you can see elements of nature. I've been in some buildings where, you know, you're almost like within a forest. That's how it would look from, you know, where the windows are. I think those types of spaces are fantastic and, quite frankly, can't be replicated in my home right now with a a baby and caregivers and a partner who's also working there. So, yeah, those spaces where only an office can do it well, I think those are my favorite.
0: I know it's been coming up with these activity-based programs that you usually have like a break room and then these knapsacks where or nap pots were becoming a thing. And massages, I think some companies have had like these kind of services as well, right? but that it's like this widely what you come for the office for, that's quite new. And I could imagine that a couple of workplace managers are really overwhelmed with these new requirements coming towards them. Do you think the pressures on workplace managers, corporate real estate managers has changed now since the pandemic? Absolutely. I think how I thought about
1: it, at least before the way that I was encountering people in those roles, especially those who had been in the industry for a long time, they really had become experts. And again, there were some exceptions pre-COVID, but for the most part, they had become experts at everything happening within, let's say, the four walls of their buildings, right? And that's a lot. That's a lot to be an expert in, the strategic components, the practical components. And I feel like when we went home, at the time of COVID in early 2020, it's like it blew that paradigm right open. And then it included, now what's happening in those four walls, but now also what's happening within the four walls of every single employee's homes. And as we've continued to come back in you know varying tranches and maybe we're about to all come back in a bigger way here in the US, it's now not only including all everyone in their homes, but now all the space in between. Am I at a third place? Am I on the road? I'm connected via my phone, via my laptop from wherever I am. And so that idea of what we're calling the ecosystem, right? And the employee experience within that ecosystem, those folks who before were experts between those four walls, it's now an unlimited, infinite reach. And so deciding where do we spend our dollars? How much space should we have? What expertise do we need to build in order to even be knowledgeable on the subject to even think about what our strategy should be? And all at the same time when resources are tight for a lot of organizations and there's competition for talent. People are losing people, they're trying to win new people. And so, yes, I think that the um, stresses and challenge for people in CRE leadership roles right now is possibly higher than it's been in a few generations. And so it's really going to require new skills. I think the thought leadership space has been so alive over the past two years, right? What you're doing here, Sabine, creating platforms for us to all learn from each other, leverage what we're seeing, Using what we've seen before to try to predict what might be needed, what might be the best approach. It's really an an interesting but challenging moment, I would say.
0: Yes, agreed.
1: <laughs> interesting is something else. I would say too. Actually, is this is something we're seeing a lot right now as people are thinking about, you know, well, what's the strategy for the next five years? Heads of CRE, heads of HR, heads of IT, maybe those leaders in the experience space pre-COVID. I think we're all able to have their own vision, goals, performance metrics, like they were all in their own work streams for the most part. It's no longer going to be possible to be successful in this space and stay in those swim lanes. I think that the way really to conquer the challenge of that explosion from inside the four walls to now the universe, as far as our employees and clients reach is that all of those leaders, HR, IT, real estate experience management, they have to all come together to say, what is our collective vision of the workplace experience? How does it connect to our goals and values as an organization? How can we all think creatively and work much more closely together to create, manage, iterate that ecosystem and I am encountering that not all organizations are ready for that, that maybe even understand that that's really the task at hand. And certainly we're finding that people are needing some help to say, help us work together to create a collective vision and help us think about how to then keep it going over time while we learn about whatever this new normal is going to be.
0: What I find interesting as well is that Companies making decisions about the way they want to work, what their office portfolio is looking like, is creating a ripple effect for the industry as well. Or at least you would assume so, because actually I've just read a study as well, and I think it was again HBR, who said they only anticipate space reductions in the amount of 1% to 2% in office portfolios, which is like marginal and not really a lot and kind of surprising. Are you seeing larger effects on the industry, on various industry players? Yes. I mean, I think they may be right, but based on what I'm seeing,
1: people are giving up space or they're planning to. I would ballpark that number higher (laughs) over the next five years. I mean, I think in principle, I wouldn't advocate that people think about just dumping space, right? I think it's about realigning, re-strategizing, rebalancing, right? A lot of people are finding that the reasons to come in are now different. So it's almost about a repurposing. And maybe that includes the same amount of space. Maybe that includes more space. But I would say that for organizations that were more traditional before and didn't have the mobility and the flexibility, for the most part, that genie's not going back in the bottle. People do want to be able to be mobile either at home or at third places or traveling. And so I think that the environments where there was a lot of allocated space for each individual, even with a rebalancing and a repurposing, they're not going to need as much space as they had before. And there are exceptions to that for sure. But we're just seeing a lot of organizations where it's going to make sense to both repurpose, maybe do some redesigning and renovating, but also some reduction will be appropriate just based on the numbers of who's going to be coming in when and how they're growing. You know, so many organizations pre-COVID were needing to hire in a specific geography. That was something that was required because they were asking people to come in every day. And so we're also finding that it's really opening up what's possible for people. They can really find the best fit and they could be anywhere in the world or anywhere within you know, a few time zones. And so I think this idea that people will need the same amount of space, I'm not sure that that will necessarily be the case for most organizations.
0: Yeah, I was really surprised as well where I think the difference will come in is probably around office specs. But if we talk about having like a spa area or more, I don't know, gym was always, I used to work for a sports brand as a corporate estate manager. And obviously we had gyms in most offices. And then we always had to look for a building where the weight load was appropriate to do heavy lifting, for example, and all these kind of things. And that's not a normal office space building in many cases I mean a lot of cases you can add the structure to support that on the ground floor but it's like not your normal office spec that you have the same way that like having a spa area or what I've seen recently as well as like having like a show kitchen area or something that requires a certain power that needs to be it's not the norm what landlords are building towards there needs to be a turn I'm guessing Gym and spa might become amenities that more companies are looking towards. I do think there's differences between industry, what feels more natural to them, maybe also what their budget is and what they can do. Do you see different return to office trends between industry or is it much more personalized than being able to say tech does this and uh, finance does that?
1: Yeah, I think that there's, at a high level, I am seeing some trending, right? And maybe one of the things I could call out is in more traditional, as I would consider industries, finance, insurance, I'm seeing more consideration of this idea. Should we require people to come back? Is it important for our business that people are in the office more regularly? Do we want to concern ourselves with mandating Something versus organizations. Tech, I think, is a great example where there is more mobility, a lot more comfort connecting and working virtually, where maybe that's not so much the case. But I would say that more than hard lines between industries, I'm seeing a different approach and a divergence of approach based on how conservative or how progressive leadership's vision is for the future. I think there seems to be organizations out there that are taking this moment as an opportunity to pivot, to rethink about how they can seize the moment, organize in a new way, invest in their places and in their people to go forward with courage. And then I'm seeing a lot of organizations where they're very conservative don't want to invest or spend anything, very concerned about the amount of space that they're holding at the moment, maybe want to try to ditch space without investing in the space that's going to remain. Maybe they want to just try to, if possible, return to how it was pre-COVID. I mean, that's the real divergence that I'm seeing. And, And for the most part, it's the leadership level that is dictating whether there is vision, whether there is an appetite for investment versus those who don't have the vision are kind of scared at the, of the moment, concerned about the real estate that they're holding and want to figure out either how to reduce or how to get back to normal as soon as possible.
0: You've been, and when I say you, I mean, Kishman and Wakefield have been collecting global data as well in, um, I think it's called the X square feet survey, if I butchered that, please uh, excuse me, you can say it again in a moment. Uh, Can you share some of the highlights and maybe surprising findings of that? Yes, absolutely. So yes, that's called the
1: experience per square foot tool. And it's a survey platform. And we've been collecting data through that platform for several years. And there was kind of what we called 1.0, which was a survey creating scores around different aspects of the workplace experience. And then once COVID happened, the team created a module called XSF at Home that was all about that work from home experience. And that ultimately evolved into what we now call XSF 2.0, which is about the blend You know, whether or not organizations have people already working in a hybrid fashion, they're at home, they're in the office, the survey platform now acquires data about each of those experiences. And so, yes, it's been so interesting to have this real time data and it's millions of data points. Global organizations have participated in this such that now we have this really strong data set. And so. Some of the things that have come out of that have really stayed consistent and some have shifted slightly since that early time of all being at home. But some of the main findings have been first and foremost that work has continued to happen. People continue to feel that they've been productive both as individuals and in groups actually since going home. I think there's a lot of talk about collaboration needing to happen at the office. But I think what the data is saying is that yes, some types of collaboration are better to happen in person perhaps, but there's a lot of great collaboration that is happening from remote locations and in the virtual space. Part of maybe what's driving that we're finding is All of the practical things that happen when you need to get into a meeting room and someone's still in there and not everyone's here and we can't get the technology to work, the fact that we're all able to get in our laptops, start a meeting and end a meeting on time has helped us to be more productive actually in some ways collaboratively. But as much as work has continued to happen in a productive way, We're really seeing across the board that learning is suffering. So our ability to build new skills. You hear a lot of organizations talking about the struggle for new hires who come into an organization. They're not really able to acculturate. They're not able to overhear the way that their teammates are conducting business or be overheard themselves such that a leader could say, oh, hey, Sabine, can I give you some feedback on how that interaction just went? And also struggles with bonding kind of to the same point, that natural socialization that happens when we're waiting for the meeting room to open. And so I get to talk to you about your weekend or, you know, a webinar or a training that we just participated in. Those things are certainly suffering. In terms of surprising findings, I think what was most unexpected to me and maybe a misconception that some people still have is the way that generations have been affected differently, at least based on this data set. I think a lot of people assumed that older generations may have had more of a struggle during this time, perhaps because there is a conception that they're not as tech savvy, right? The Gen Z folks, the millennials, oh yeah, they're really great with their mobile tools. And so they're gonna have a much easier time. But actually when it comes to experience and the various experience measures, we've found that it's been the opposite, that actually those of the older generations have had an overall better experience during this time. And so I think there's a few key indicators of why that might be that come out of this data. One is about home environments. So folks who maybe have longer careers have perhaps built up enough capital to have nicer home environments, more spacious. Maybe they've acquired a few loved ones that are there with them too. There's maybe some space that can be dedicated for work. Whereas those younger generations are maybe in roommate situations, multi-generational households, living more in urban centers and small apartments. And so... It's not such a great experience to be there all the time, working, living with multiple other people. It could be harder to focus, harder to get breaks. The other aspect of this, we talked about learning a minute ago. Those who have been in the workforce longer have likely already established a personal brand, established a network, maybe acquired a higher level within the organization. It's not as important that they're meeting new people, getting people to know them and what they can do, what they're capable of, visibility to leadership. Whereas for those younger generations, that's really paramount. Do people in this organization recognize me and my potential? Do I have a path to grow? If I'm out of sight, am I out of mind? So I think for those reasons, we're seeing that there has been this generational divide during this period. And again, all the more reason why It's valuable to create opportunities to be coming back as as soon as it's safe, especially for those younger generations.
0: And looking into the future, where do you see the opportunities rethinking the workplace environment and employee experience as a bigger theme? I think that
1: nimbleness and flexibility are going to be really important, right? I don't think this is the last major global crisis that we're going to see, I hope it is, but I don't think it will be. I think for business continuity reasons, for experience reasons, and again, like COVID, maybe for safety reasons, it will be important that we can stay fluid and flexible. And so I think hopefully there is an opportunity for both spaces and furniture and design to be as flexible as possible. So, I'm just reading so much recently about the sort of rebirth of co-working spaces, flex spaces, right? And I think for landlords that are thinking about it, you know, how much space do we need? Are we going to be able to can expand and contract? Can we work collectively with other organizations in our buildings and spaces to use space together perhaps, such that we don't now need to have totally established footprints? And same things with furniture. You know, if we're able to repurpose the space that we're using over time more easily, I think there will be a lot of resources saved and help us to continue to flex with whatever is required of us. I also think there's a lot of hopefully more sustainable frontiers to reach, you know, just how we're using resources if we're not always in the same space all the time. And the other thing I would say about this Sabine, is I think precision is going to be really important, right? We sort of talked about, you know, wanting to create amenity spaces perhaps that will move the needle or attract people, wanting to create spaces that are going to help people to be as productive as possible. Nobody has unlimited resources, nobody, right? Even those who have a lot of resources, it's not unlimited. So I think that organizations knowing what will help their people to be more productive, what will help their people to have a, have a better experience is gonna be really critical. The tool that we were talking about, Experience per Square Foot, that's really the goal of it, is to help to understand what's most important to your people, what is driving the good experience. And so hopefully organizations can then choose to invest in just those things, right? Don't throw everything at people hoping something will stick. It's not efficient. It's not sustainable. It's not a good use of resources. Really get to know your people. Really think about what will inspire them, what will connect them to their work and invest the resources that you have there and nowhere else, right, to see what impacts it will
0: have. There's a very nice segue into one of my closing questions, which is if you could magically solve any workplace problem, what would it be? tough one because I think there's a lot I would solve a lot but I can have one wish I wish for a million wishes yeah yes exactly exactly
1: yes maybe and this is kind of a this is sort of a long-standing problem I mean as long as I've been in the industry this is something that has come up over and over again and I think it's actually applicable in home environments and work environments which is to sort of solve the concentration conundrum I think Concentration is something that is so important to be effective, to have a good experience, to feel well. And as much as socializing, collaborating, connecting is equally important, I think concentration is actually one of the hardest to solve for. Pre-COVID open office environments, that was something we just heard about all the time. This space is not conducive for focus. And even though I think home environments have been better by and large for focus, It's not true for everybody. You're surrounded by all of your stuff. It's really easy to go down a rabbit hole of, oh my gosh, what's in that pile over there? Or multiple other people in the home, right? But I'm sort of imagining something that you could, I don't know, like a a cone of silence, something you could pop up. And I've seen some people that have actually experimented with this. But if there was something that could actually create the ideal focus environment for me, which would be sound, no sound, light, no light such that I could deeply focus, even if I was in a really crowded space. And at the same time, it would be important that whatever that tool was that you, my colleague Sabine, could notice like, oh, Carly's in her concentration bubble. I'm gonna allow her to be there. But yeah, I think that that's something that we haven't really fully solved for yet that I think would make us all way
0: more productive. It's an interesting one and a good one for a magical wish because I think there's not... Even when I think about myself, I couldn't tell you what the formula would be because sometimes when I'm at home and it's super quiet, and then I don't know, there's a little sound, I get really annoyed by that and concentration's gone. And then other days I'm sitting in the open office, there's all kinds of buzz going around, but I'm getting really excited about something. And then you can do whatever you want next to me. I won't even recognize it. So it's like, why doesn't one work all the time kind of? And then other days you're like, you can't get into that tunnel kind of. And like with every noise, you're like, what's going on now? So it's like, yeah. It's
1: dynamic, right? Absolutely. It's going to have to be something very clever that can be, like I said, like it has opaque walls or then it could be see-through or it's going to play Mozart or it's going to play The Sound of Rain or it's going to play nothing, right? It would have to be something that could shift with your mood at the moment, right? Like give me settings A and that's when I get to have absolute quiet or give me setting B where it's just the perfect amount of buzz to help me tune into what I'm doing. So yeah, I'll think more about it, Sveen. Maybe I'll see what I can come up
0: with. Maybe there's going to be a startup coming with Yeah, exactly. If,
1: if someone's listening to this that has the tools, please make this happen.
0: Last one before I release you. Who else should I have on the podcast? And there's something, is there something you would like to ask them? Yes. One of my favorite parts of
1: my job is talking to end users in quotation marks there, but talking to people who are impacted or supported by the environments that we're working with. And whether that's in focus groups or surveys, I love getting the perspective of those who aren't focused in this area, but deeply impacted by it. So I have listened to, I'm a listener of the podcast and we, you've had so many great guests on so many cool ideas shared, but I think it would be awesome to have like an end user panel. And maybe in this moment, it would be cool on this topic of returning to office to have someone whose organization is saying we're in office. That's the secret sauce for us. Come in every day. We want to really see you here. Maybe someone who has a more hybrid approach, high mobility, kind of comes in and out, and then maybe somebody who works in remote first. And maybe it would be cool to have them a mix of industries too, or sizes, something like that. I don't know. But I think it would be really interesting to say, how are you feeling in this moment? How does that approach either support you to be productive or not, and how is it supporting or not supporting your personal experience? I would be really curious to
0: hear your moderation of a conversation on that topic. That's a really cool idea. Yeah, let's see how we can get that going. (laughs) Thank you so much, Carly. It's been a great pleasure and fun to chat with you. Likewise, Sabine. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to my good friend, John
1: Goldschmidt over there at Locati for connecting us.
0: Thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Workplace Leader, there's more. Go visit our blog and have a look at some of the other topics we have covered. Or tune into our next episode of The Workplace Leader.